what is going on everybody welcome back to the power stroke tech talk podcast this is number 28 we got the crew the same crew ds matt reeling he just stepped out for a moment and we have mr tom brown joining us today um we're going to talk about some interesting stuff again we're going to visit oil we have an AMSOIL uh, dealer here uh, with some very plentiful knowledge uh, in the business uh, regarding lubricants and, f- and fluids and, and stuff that keeps our power strokes running. And we get a lot, a lot of questions about, I just got one before we started, about running a fuel additive, uh, cetane. What's cetane? Why do I need it? Uh, people don't know. And, um, you know, we're going to educate, we're going to talk about, um, you know, the stuff that really is going to uh, give us that longevity. Uh, I know DS, he just recently got up on his second oil change and is uh, going to be, you know, uh, t- testing and tuning some new oil. Um, but uh, Tom, welcome. Uh, glad you uh, could come on with us tonight. Glad to be here and uh, look forward to helping everybody out with uh, oil and filtration and fuel additives and oil analysis and coolant and all that kind of stuff. So you know, whatever you, I can do to help. You just uh, uh, sparked a, um, in fact, I'm going to write a note on it because it's something I want to I want to cover and possibly make a video on is it's been, I say in this last month, I'd probably say maybe four or five uh, comments and emails regarding the AMSOIL uh, filter by, by yeah, the AMSOIL filter bypass, bypass. kit. Bypass. And um, I don't know what I, I don't know anything about it. I haven't looked up anything. I don't um unbiased. Tell me about it because I'm interested in, you know, really what is being installed, what are we taking off? You know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, easy. So uh, great topic. Um so let's let back up for just a second. So the filter that is on your engine right is considered a full flow filter, which means that unless the internal a bypass valve as opposed to a bypass filter. So either in the filter or in the filter uh, mount, uh, basically on almost every engine, there is a bypass valve. And the reason that valve is there is that in case the filter plugs or if the pressure differential gets too high, so just think it's, uh, you know, zero degrees out on some cold morning and you've got, you know, 15W40 sitting down in the pan the engine starts, but not all of the oil will flow through the filter uh, because it's just too thick. It can't get through there. So there's a valve that opens up in the filter or the engine that allows the oil to keep moving because you need oil. You know, I don't care if it's filtered or not at that point. The engine just needs oil. Uh, And so then as the oil warms up, then all of the oil is going to start flowing through that filter. uh, And so therefore, it's called a full flow filter. Uh, so as a, but on a, on a really good filter, really good day, it's going to filter down to about 20 microns, uh, in terms of the size of a piece of dirt or soot that it's going to catch. And a human hair is about 80 microns. So we're talking about something pretty small. This is the Amsoil filter that no, does this that? Any filter. This, this is, is any, any filter. filter. Okay. So just any filter on any car. Uh, has a filter micron rating somewhere between 20 and 40 microns. Uh, so can I ask a quick question about that? When they, when you look at the filter specifications and it says something like 
86% down to 20 microns versus like maybe a different brand that might say 99% down to 20 microns. What is the difference with uh, those two percentages, but they're the same micron rating? Right, it just basically means the higher, it's, it's, that is the efficiency number. Uh, and so that filter that said it's gonna write, uh, filter at 99% at microns. So basically what they're in is the filter media that's inside that filter is gonna catch 99% of dirt that is 20 microns and larger. So mm. then that other one said it was 86% effective or efficient. So it's not as good. So that means you're, you're going to have 20 micron and larger dirt, uh, you know, what, 14% of the time is going to make it past that filter uh, and flow on through and get into the engine. Um, and so that's one of the issues that's out there is that you've got filters uh, that are, uh, you know, not as good as other ones. In some cases, though, the original equipment manufacturer of the engine did not specify a super efficient filter uh, because uh, one of the things that happens is that if you have a super efficient filter that catches more dirt, it's going to fill up quicker. Uh, and so then you're going to have to change it more often. And so the original equipment manufacturer, they got all kinds of issues they have to work with in terms of, and as you're seeing probably in the last 20 years, oil filters on cars have just gotten smaller and smaller and smaller uh, with the exception of the turbo diesel pickups. Uh, most of them still have a large filter on them. But if you change oil on any small car now or even gasoline pickups, you got these little tiny filters on them, you know? And they've gone to longer oil change intervals. Uh, and so, uh, you know, in many cases, filters are filling up and then the filter goes into bypass mode. And so for some oil change interval, uh, there's no ring going full of dirt. Uh, and so it's gonna go into bypass. It's going to open and oil still going to flow through the engine. You're going to have oil pressures, but you're not getting any filtering done. Um, and so that's one of the things that's causing increased wear uh, is, you know, a lack of filtration. And when you add that to the fact that you've got all these components in new high-tech engines, whether it's variable valve, and, you know, uh, on-demand lifters for, uh, you know, active displacement, and variable oil pumps and variable water pumps. It just, there's all kinds of stuff on these engines now that's all controlled by oil and you have to have clean oil. So going back to the filtration fit, uh, situation for a second. So the filter that's on the car coming from the factory is considered a full flow filter. So then now let's jump over and let's talk about what is a bypass filter. So the dirt that causes all the wear inside of an engine is between seven and 10 microns. But as I mentioned earlier, the filter is only, even on its best day, the best filter, it's going to catch 20 micron and larger dirt. So the 7 to 10 micron dirt that's causing all the wear, it's flowing right through that filter uh, and just continuing to circulate around the engine, wedging itself into nooks and crannies and behind piston rings and, you know, in bearings and everything else. And that's why you have a, you know, it's a 100,000 mile, maybe 150,000 mile engine. And this thing's wore out uh, because it's got, uh, you know, the oil was not filtered. Um, 
if you go back to some previous generation power strokes, 7.3 and 6.0 engines, uh, had a ton of problems with injectors. And one of the reasons was because of friction and the oil would get torn apart and the filter wasn't good enough to catch all the crud. And so then that crud would build up in the injectors on the truck or on inside the engine. So on a bypass filter, what we're doing is we're gonna actually add a filter external to the engine. So it's a good size uh, filter. And the key point on a bypass filter is that uh, only a small amount of the oil that's in circulation inside of an engine. So think of about 5% of the oil that's in circulation is gonna get diverted outside of the engine. It's gonna come over, it's gonna go through an external filter. It's gonna scrub it down to two microns instead of 20. And then it's gonna return that cleaned oil back to the engine. Uh, usually dump it back into the top of the engine, but we've got some kits that mix it right back in with the, the rest of the oil flowing through the motor. Uh, but so now you're scrubbing that oil down to two microns and it was that seven to 10 micron oil or dirt that was causing all the wear. Um, and so now we're removing basically everything that's gonna be causing wear inside of the engine. Uh, and so we've got engines that have bypass filters on them that run for hundreds of thousands of miles and you tear them apart, they're spotlessly clean on the inside. There's basically no wear in them. Um, you know, and this is not a new technology either. Uh, the, the uh, like Caterpillar, for example, in the heavy, uh, uh, heavy commercial, heavy, you know, industrial engines, they were using bypass filters a long time ago. Uh, but in many cases, they actually stopped because the OEMs figured out that they make more money by selling parts than they do on selling new equipment. And so they figured out that it was not to their advantage to equip these machines with bypass filters uh, because then they can sell more overhaul kits. Um, so, you know, that's one of the things that, uh, going back to the six liter, for example, I mean, Aaron, you've probably worked on your fair share of six liters over the years and they have reoccurring problems. Uh, and injectors and turbo failures was one of the big issues early on. And in my opinion, basically almost all of that could have been avoided if Ford would have come out originally and said, hey, we want you to run synthetic oil and we're gonna have a bypass filter on these engines. And if they would have done that, uh, the, uh, the injector and turbo problems on six liters would have probably been a whole lot different. Uh, you know, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting because even today, they don't necessarily recommend full synthetic until you get into, into the severe duty category. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. But it's like everything that we do is considered severe duty. We can't be at a right. traffic light exactly. for right. uh, 20 minutes and more severe duty. The, the other thing you got to remember about the maintenance schedule that's published in your owner's manual, uh, that is a compromise schedule between the engineers that designed the piece of equipment and the marketing people who know that that uh, maintenance schedule is going to get costed out by organizations like Consumer Reports, uh, and it's going to get compared to your competition. Uh, for example, here, oh, it was when the 6R140 transmission first came out back in what model year 2011 behind the 6.7. Uh, I think that was the first time the 6R140 showed up in, uh, in heavy duty pickups just happened to come across a uh, video posting or a comment one night from a guy who had just retired from Ford. 
And he had been on the team that had designed the 6R140. And somebody had asked him about the fluid service schedule, which is 150,000 miles, at least it was in 2011. And he said, oh yeah, he said the, 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 the design guys wanted the service interval to be 30,000 miles. Uh, but the marketing people at Ford said, oh no, we have to make that service interval on that transmission longer longer to keep the perceived maintenance cost lower. And I use the word perceived there very uh, carefully because uh, yeah, on paper, you may be able to go 150,000 miles with a service interval. But if you're working that transmission hard every day uh, and towing and, and severe duty, I would highly recommend you change that fluid before 150,000 miles or you may be doing a transmission instead. So, but, uh, yeah, so that's a, the thing on a, on a bypass filter is we're going to add an external filter. It's going to scrub the oil down. It's going to get basically all of the dirt and it's going to get most of the soot. Now, even with a bypass filter though, a diesel engine is still going to turn its oil black. Uh, and the longer you run that oil, uh, you know, it, it can only get so black, uh, but it will eventually still turn black. And that's because you have a lot of soot that is smaller than one micron uh, that is getting in, injected into the oil through the combustion process. And there's just not a filter out there that's going to clean all that soot out of there. And you really don't need to. Uh, you know, it's not doing anything. It's not hurting anything. The only thing it's doing is that that soot is acidic. Uh, and so one of the reasons that you have to change your oil is because that soot acid has to be neutralized. Uh, and if you don't, then it starts to create corrosion uh, problems inside of the engine. Uh, and so you have a, on your oil analysis report, if you ever do that on one of your engines, you'll notice, uh, at least you get a good report, it'll give you something called TBN or total base. Mm -hmm. And that is a measurement of the oil's ability to neutralize acid. So when you've depleted all of your acid control additives, then your TBN number goes basically to zero. And then if you were also to pay the lab to start reporting your acid number, so then as your total base number comes down to zero, then your acid number is going to start coming up because now you've got acid building up in the oil. Um, and that's not a good thing. So adding TBN is going to bring that, that level down. It's not so going to be acidic. TBN is a good thing. That's what uh, I'm saying. Total base number. Yeah. So you oil starts out with a total base. Let's just say your oil started out with a total base number of 10, you know, brand new bottle of oil. It's got a total base number of 10. And so as the oil is exposed to acid, that acid control additive gets depleted. So it, it gradually works its way down to zero. And then once it reaches basically zero and the, and the oil can't neutralize any more acid, uh, then the acid actually starts to build up in the engine. And so you would start seeing that number start going back, going up. Uh, now, for, for guys who are running like really extended oil changes, are there products like TBN Booster that can go into the oil and re revitalize kind of, it? Yeah. I'm not familiar with any TBN um, products. Booster. I just know that, for example, uh, Amsoil has a signature series max duty line of oils. That's our extended drain oils. So it starts off with a higher base number to begin with than lower priced oils will. Uh, but then the other thing is 
and, and this is where it gets into the secret science that Amswell doesn't share with even with guys like me, but it's a, because it's a competitive advantage, you know, in the market. There are different additive uh, products out there that they're buying, for example, from their additive suppliers uh, that will, for example, one of the things the Amswell Signature Series will do is it'll fall pretty quickly. When you, if you were to monitor your oil like every 3,000 miles, you'll notice your TBN number starts to fall pretty quickly. But then it gets down to around the three and maybe slightly below 3.0 number. And then it just freaking hangs there for what seems like forever. Yeah, it seems like uh, the research I've done suggests that they're not necessarily just going to say, well, we want it to last longer. So let's have the highest TBN in the world, not necessarily starting off with the new oil change, but whatever chemicals they use or however they achieve it, for whatever reason, it can last longer. Right. Like once you hit a certain point, it just keeps going. You, you mentioned a good point. Um, you can't just add more TBN at the start either, uh, or you can't add more of that additive that gives you that because anti-wear additives and detergents uh, and some of these other chemicals that are being added as part of the whole additive package, they start fighting against each other if their numbers get too high in, in the beginning because they're all trying to fight for space on the metal. Um, and they will start canceling each other out uh, when they start getting too high in any one of those numbers. And so that's part of the science behind the blending that all these oil companies are doing is, okay, I know with this particular additive line, I can't go above this number because then I'm going to lose either anti-wear capability or I'm going to lose detergent capability. And so there's a, a high point that they can't go above. And so then what the additive companies have done is they've come in and said, okay, we, we know you can't go above that, but our particular unique formula, it falls pretty quickly in the beginning, but then it flattens out kind of like a hockey stick and it stays in there for a long time uh, before you get to the point where you uh, have to do an oil change because you, and that's typically what happens to, in most cases today. I, I read oil analysis reports all the time the first thing that's going to cause an oil analysis, uh, the first thing that's going to cause an oil change is going to be your oil has lost its ability to neutralize acid. Uh, mm. you know, so everybody thinks it's, oh, it's because it's dirty or, you know, something else going on. No, usually it's because it's lost its ability to neutralize acid. And that's because of the amount of biofuel that's being run because biofuel pulls in more water. Uh, and, uh, and so, Water, when it gets uh, mixed with the oil, creates more acid. Um, and so that's, that's usually the first thing that goes is the uh, acid. So, um, yeah. With the bypass filter with, from Amsoil, that is, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a uh, thing that kind of screws onto where the oil filter would screw. And then you put the oil filter on that and then it has some uh, fittings that you know, pretty much bypass to the bypass filter. Is that how that one yeah. works? Just so for, let's just use the 6.7 since that's what, uh, you know, Aaron does most of his videos on now with 6.7. Uh, so we have two different bypass filter systems for the 6.7. Uh, Everybody better be remote. listening up. <laughs> we have a single remote and a dual remote. My personal favorite is the single remote. Uh, it's a little bit more expensive, but in the grand scheme of things, I think it's well worth it. Um, and so 
you were correct. You unscrew the full flow filter, you screw on about a one inch thick sandwich adapter, and then you screw a full flow filter back onto it. Uh, and that sandwich adapter, it's made out of nice, pretty blue anodized aluminum, that O-rings on both sides of it, seals up to the block. Uh, it's got a threaded port on the side of it. So you just position that so that, and that's gonna be providing pressurized oil, leaving the engine. Uh, and then you mount the bypass uh, head somewhere underneath the truck because there's no room under the hood. Um, and so then you run a line from that sandwich adapter to the uh, filter head. You got a bypass filter screwed onto that head. Um, and then you run the return line on this, on this particular one, the return line goes to the top of the engine and we replace the oil fill cap with another nice pretty blue anodized aluminum fill cap and the uh, cleaned oil dumps back into the top of the engine. Uh, mm. And so then the only- And this all comes in a kit with the lines and everything? Lines, everything. Uh, the, uh, so the, uh, the only time I've ever, you, ever, you would ever have to order anything extra is that if you're gonna locate the filter uh, underneath the truck farther back, uh, you know, from then what the hose included will cover, uh, you just have to order more hose. That we sell that by the foot. Where are guys typically putting it under the truck? Uh, driver side, passenger side? Where I'm trying to paint the picture. Typically, the ones that I have seen are on the passenger side because it's the passenger side where the full flow filter is. Yep. Uh, and so it makes a real nice, clean install to come off of the the, the passenger side of the motor, go out on the outside of the frame rail right behind the front wheel. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Where, to the point where a rock can't come up, because uh, when a rock comes up, it's gonna be shooting back. Uh, it's usually not gonna be coming straight up. Uh, and so you mount it up inside, uh, just outside the frame rail. Because as you well know, Aaron, if these trucks still have all their emissions equipment on them, you think there's all this room underneath the truck, especially between the frame rails. There's, yeah. there's, no. there's no room between the frame rails. Not at all. Uh, you know, between so, fuel tanks and uh, so uh, you've got to be strategic when you mount it. I mean, right, moving parts and suspension, and right, so you got to take a look at okay, got front control arm, I got drive shafts, I've got all these different things that are moving under there, plus I've got a hot exhaust pipe. Uh, and so these rubber lines they'll last forever, but they'll last about three seconds up against the hot exhaust pipe. You know? So, so my thing. I really like the AMSOIL system and I, I want to get it on my uh, power stroke, but uh, I have to really think like I'm, gonna, I'm adding more hoses and there, in my eyes, the one downside would be that you're adding a lot more potential leak points if something were to ever happen or snag or, you know, for whatever reason. You got to be careful about where you run these hoses. Um, and so, you know, just like you said, think them through, you know, where do I mount this? because uh, we don't specify a mounting location. Uh, we give you everything to mount it, uh, but we don't tell you where to mount it. And so guys are, you know, people make modifications to their truck. Not every truck is the same. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's the one thing that the owner has to decide, okay, where am I going to put this? And then if you're going to put it somewhere where you need more hose, I just strongly suggest don't splice the hoses. Uh, so if you need more hose, order one big long piece. Uh, Everything you can do, and I've had guys do this before, if they live in salt state, 
the fittings that come on these are not uh, stainless steel. And so I've had some guys go out and have custom hoses made at a local hose shop, uh, you know, with stainless steel fittings, because these fittings will corrode if they're exposed to salt. Uh, but they're very, common, they're very common fittings. Uh, and so that way you could have a custom hose made uh, exactly the length that you wanted, or if you wanted some special, you know, 90 degree or 45 degree turn somewhere, you know, just based on where you wanted to install it. Uh, they're very common fittings. And so you could do that as well. Matt, you ever seen any duties come in with this on here? No, no, me either. I haven't no. seen one. I haven't even looked on the internet. I just hear people talking about them. They always ask. I've me, seen, I've seen them being installed know. on the internet. Right. No, the I other option that up. we have for the 6.7 is a dual remote. Um, and so it is a, uh, it's a much larger filter head. Uh, and it removes the full flow filter from the engine. Uh, and so instead of having a filter screwed onto the engine, you just have this adapter that's screwed onto the engine. And then all of the oil leaves the engine, comes back to this uh, longer uh, dual remote head. And so on that, black uh, manifold basically you've got a full flow filter and a bypass filter and so then the oil goes through both of those filters and then goes back to the engine uh, and goes on its normal route hmm. uh, where does it go back into the engine the oil fill cap still no it goes back into the adapter that replaced the oil filter oh uh, okay 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 so it's got two holes in it and so one hole is bringing all of the oil from the pump out to the manifold, going through both filters. And then the, all of the oil comes back and goes right back. Gotcha. Gotcha. That would be slick if you could do that with the single. So you're not doing, you know, the upstairs dance. You could keep everything, right. you know, got the filter, got the two lines. Zip, zip, right. Because you've got to make it from the passenger side over to the oil field cap. Which is on the, is that on the driver's side? Well, we typically mm -hmm. run the return line on the single remote up the driver's side of the engine because that's the cool side, uh, because the passenger side has got the exhaust pipe coming down. Uh, okay. And so run it up the driver's side of the engine and then go over to the top of the, you know, top center of the motor, basically. So here's a, here's a question for you based off of a scenario that Aaron and I see a lot this truck's got excessive crankcase pressure and it's got a bypass kit and now it's shooting a bunch of crankcase pressure back into that hose back feeding into the filter what happens oh you're talking about the 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 clean oil like, that's coming from the bypass yeah like filter? the drain because that pressure has to go somewhere and it just now found somewhere to go well so the, you mean back up the cap like where the cap oil is supposed to come down yeah Oh, I mean, which like, would have which would like have that's more... tapped in there and it has a fit. That's a good point. Would it, but wouldn't that, about that. wouldn't that be under pressure? Like, wouldn't that be under oil pressure? The, the no, because it's the crankcase. Well, the oil that's coming from the bypass filter is under the same amount of pressure as all of the oil in the engine. Um, there's just not very much of it coming up. You know, it's only like 5% of the oil, but it is pressurized. Okay, so in theory, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't, over, it shouldn't overpower. It shouldn't yeah. overcome it, but... Well, the, the oil will overcome the PCV pressure. Yeah, I would think. Well, I mean, this is like enough pressure to shoot the cap out of your hand. That's why I'm wondering, like, yeah. is it going to push back? But 
Oh, it'll put it, 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 it probably it's not it's probably not going to be able to push back against about what 40 pounds of oil pressure or something when you're under load you know? yeah that's so, a good point well, i wonder well, uh how many of you guys of out there anybody listening uh let us know in the comments uh are you guys running the amsoil uh, uh bypass kit on your six seven or any any bypass kit um you, do you like what you guys are hearing? Because I this is the first time, literally, I've talked about uh, this. I've heard a lot about it. Never looked into any research or anything about it. I'm um, finding it out just as you guys are right now. Um, man, we need to do a video on your truck, man. Definitely got me intrigued. I would. I you know what? I'm gonna write myself a note because I have. That's how I remember everything. Well, I'll try to remember everything as I write uh, a bunch of sticky notes. Um, so I will. I want to. I want to ask. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say a couple of the other advantages with the bypass system is it does increase your oil capacity a little bit. Uh, you know, so you're going to add one to two quarts of oil. Uh, now, uh, power strokes have the highest oil capacity. That's why I love selling oil to power stroke owners because they hold more oil than everybody else. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but but it's going to add even a little bit more oil. Uh, so you're going to take it up to around 14 to 15 quarts. On a That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the more oil you have in your engine, the longer that oil is going to last because the, the on off duty cycle for the oil, uh, you know, the more oil that's there, it's going to be resting more, working less. Uh, and yeah. so that's a good thing in terms of oil life. Um, and so then, uh, it also does provide a very small amount of oil cooling because you are taking oil out of the engine and you're running it through a filter that's exposed to air blowing across it. So there's a very slight oil cooling advantage to it. Um, and so, yeah, and then just keeping that oil cleaner. Um, I really, really am, am thinking uh, about uh, the longevity and those fittings. Um, for myself in the salt, in the salt yeah for myself right. being a rust belt for life um just the stuff that we see matt the just the i mean it's all these service labor times have been made where just these bolts come right off boom 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 got nothing no environment no nothing nothing well our accelerated wear ds is brand new uh a 202450 uh is going to have accelerated wear because because he's using it as a work truck. It's just inevitable, oh, yeah. but. My, my, uh, my, uh, my 2004 Chevy pickup, you look underneath it, it's got 250,000 miles on it. It looks about the way it did when it came off the, the uh, showroom floor. That's unreal. Wow. That's wow. unreal. I, I, I got that a million mile uh, uh, six, seven in here. And uh, uh, yes, he's going to be coming on the podcast. People keep asking me, yes, just be patient. We're waiting on each other's schedules. Believe me, he's right. coming on. Uh, but I had to look underneath his truck, and like I, it didn't dawn on me. I'm, you know, I'm looking up at the wiring and looking for the parkade, you know, stuff, and it's just like, oh yeah, oh, I just, I'm not used to see, not used to seeing this. So it was. Oh, I, I grew up in Kansas, and we had salt on the roads there all the time. You know, when oh a car my gosh. was about five years old, you know, rusted out, mufflers rusted suspension pieces rusted you know everything was rusted you know? now going with the uh, uh, oil bypass filtration um i don't get asked a lot about it for the six seven but six liter all the time crucial for them coolant 
coolant what kind of coolant filtrations have you seen on the market do you do you know of um um uh, i I'm i just thought... from the mishimoto kit that's a yeah. really, really they're, they're nice basically kit all, i mean there's several coolant kits out there but they're basically all doing about the same thing just uh, another standalone filter screw on right. But I think there's a misconception in terms of what that filter is actually doing. Um, because everything else we've talked about, you've got a filter that is attempting to get all of the dirt scrubbed out of uh, the system, you know, what, uh, over on the engine oil side. The primary reason that coolant filters were added to engines was not to uh, filter dirt out of them. It was so that the filter element itself uh, could be impregnated with a supplemental coolant additive and that that additive would very slowly leach out of that filter element and bleed into the coolant to keep the additive levels in the coolant strong uh, because they knew that the, you know, the heat from the engine was going to rip the coolant apart just as we've seen on, you know, green and gold coolants and six liters and stuff like that. Uh, and so that was one of the big reasons that coolant filters got added. Uh, they just used a filter to be able to introduce that SCA or supplemental coolant additive into the coolant stream. The fact that the coolant filter itself caught some dirt um, was nice, but that wasn't the primary reason for it. Because if you think about the size of that coolant filter, it's not very big. Now put that same size filter on an enormous V8 or V12 Caterpillar, uh, you know, industrial engine that's probably holding 50 gallons of coolant. That filter is not going to hold the dirt that that system is generating, you know. So all it was really doing was leaching out this supplemental coolant additive to keep the the, the chemical levels higher, you know, and, and make the coolant last longer. You know, well, that's a interesting. Bit that, a little bit of dirt that it catches, that's good. Um, and there's even filters out there. They're called blanks, uh, the, the coolant filter blanks. They still filter, but they don't have any of the SCA additive in them. Uh, you know, and so you can go to Napa or Wix or, you know, any of these uh, big filter places and they sell uh, real common uh, coolant filters. Um, from what I've experienced talking with hundreds or thousands of six liter owners now is that uh, you're better off, I think, if you just do a really aggressive flush uh, and get the plugs opened up uh, on the bottom of the block and get all of the casting sand uh, washed out of them, uh, because that's one of the big issues on the coolant, uh, on the oil cooler, was that real small fine casting sand would get circulated and work its way up into the oil cooler and plug up the oil side of the oil cooler. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, if you just do a really good flush, I'm not saying don't put a coolant filter on them because it's not going to hurt anything at all. I just don't think that it's the highest priority thing. Uh, I think a oil bypass filter is a much higher priority because of the way the injectors uh, rip the oil apart down at the molecular level. What's that like on a six liter? Cause it's remote, like off to the side, isn't it? For the oil bypass? Yeah. Same concept, same filter. Uh, it's just that we replace, it's actually real easy on a six liter with our kit because you remove the oil fill cap and you remove the oil filter cap uh, and you replace both of those. Uh, and so the oil filter cap has a 
coming in. Uh, oh, wow. And so then, uh, the, you know, like about 5% of that oil coming out of the top of the oil filter goes over to the bypass filter, which on a six liter, you can actually mount it uh, off of the alternator behind the, the passenger headlights. Uh, so guys. if you're, uh, if you're, if you're going to do a bypass filter, you're, you're going to ex extend the life of your engine. But yeah. if you want to keep maintenance records for warranty purposes, and you're going to change whatever the manufacturer's recommendation is, is it worth it at that point? But, or should you do an extended drain interval once you get into the whole realm of a bypass filter? Let me just back up for, and talk about a federal law real quick, because uh, there's a federal law that governs warranties. And, and so this is always one of the things that people have concerns about is, I just bought this new truck, the owner's manual or the oil life monitoring system tells me that I'm supposed to change oil, you know, whenever it tells me I'm supposed to change oil and I'm supposed to use this oil, you know, and uh, there are people who work at automotive dealerships who tell people all the time, you have to do that, you know, uh, and so that's good advice, but it is not the federal law. The federal law says that's your vehicle, and if the original equipment manufacturer, so in this case, let's say we're talking about Ford, if Ford wants you or requires you is a better term, if Ford is going to say, you have to use this oil, this filter, and you have to change it uh, on this interval, or we're going to void your warranty, then the original equipment manufacturer, in this case, Ford, has to provide those products and services for you for free, no additional cost. Otherwise, and, and this is one of the reasons you saw companies over the last probably 10, 15 years, and now they're starting to go away from it again. You know, it was a big deal here for a while where they were offering uh, free oil changes with new cars. And, and in some cases for a long time. Um, and is, so Ford, is Ford offering free oil changes right now? Or or because I, I think when I did my truck, they were saying something about I, I think they're not because they were saying I could do that if I bought into a program that I could right. do. You're gonna so I don't think, yeah, some kind well, of. Yeah, it was probably just a maintenance planner ESP. ESP plan. So, yeah. Yeah. so, so if you were, so you would have to be able to fight if you were going to do an extended warrant. So you're doing an extended drain interval. Would they have to prove that that extended drain interval is what caused the failure or. That's the issue here is what they have to do fault analysis. Uh, and so let's say you have a new truck, new six, seven, you drive it for, you know, I don't know, 30,000 miles and you have an engine failure and you happen to, to be following some type of a, an extended oil change interval. Uh, and it doesn't really matter if you had records or not. Um, because when they tear into that, when the dealership tears into that engine, and they're trying to figure out what happened. If they point the finger at the owner and say, you didn't do the oil changes like you were supposed to, uh, that's really irrelevant and it won't stand up in court. What they have to be able to say is, your lack of maintenance or the fluids that you chose to use caused this problem. And we have that documented by an outside third party 
our uh, company that came in and assessed this situation. And, you know, that's, this is their ruling on that. They have to be able to show what caused it. And Aaron will tell, probably validate this. 99% of the time, it's not the oil that caused the problem. A part failed. And a part failed because it was manufactured wrong somewhere, you know? And humans make parts. You know, they get I made think, in machines. But that we I make. Think, I think it's rare to see uh, like a like a failure from a guy who's doing like a really high level full synthetic extended drain interval and he's not cooking the oil he doesn't have sludge in the engine right. and aside from uh fuel dilution maybe from somebody who's not testing oil on certain vehicles that for whatever reason could get fuel dilution but I even at saw, that point I just saw an oil report today one of my best customers has a 2017 f-250 6-7 completely stock tows rvs with He's got 300,000 miles on this thing. I saw his oil report today. He has 7.8% fuel dilution, which is a category four red flag. Uh, you know, the lab is screaming, but yet if you go look at the wear metals on that thing, normal wear metal. Viscosity is still good. Acid is still good. There's nothing wrong with the oil in this thing other than the fact that it's got 7.8% fuel in it. Uh, but that's what CK4 and uh, CJ4 and CK4 oils and Ford's oil specification is basically based on a, a, a modified version of CK4. All these new oils were designed to uh, lubricate in that environment. They knew they were going to get fuel in the oil because of the regeneration process. Uh, and so they had to figure out a way. It goes back to that. What base oil are we going to use and what additives are we going to use knowing that we're going to end up with five to 10% fuel in the oil? Now, with that being said, there are cases where guys might be like way under their miles, even for factory uh, maintenance, but for whatever reason, they're maybe uh, running some kind of power generation to some kind of facility or unit that they're running with their truck or they're doing real short severe duty, short trip, severe duty, but sleeping they're not the running, sleeping in a truck, idling for yeah. overnight, but they're running like 10W30 or whatever type of oil. And then they're seeing some kind of oil related failure. I mean, I think that is an issue uh, right now. Yep, it can be. And, and if, the, if there was an, well, you could have an engine failure that was not caused by oil but then you can also take it one step further and say, okay, we got an engine failure that was caused by oil. And in this case, if it was, like you said, okay, I'm running 10W30 conventional oil because that's what the truck calls for under normal conditions. Uh, but now all of a sudden the operator or owner starts operating the truck in special or severe conditions and he's getting five, 10% fuel in there. And the, particular oil that he's happened to be using is not capable of withstanding that amount of fuel and it allows accelerated wear. Um, you know, so then that's going to be an issue that has to be resolved between the owner and, and the OEM and probably a warranty, you know, as to whether they're going to cover that or not. Right. And then a lot of times they'll have to cover engines that are totally uh, smoked on the inside. They're full of sludge. They're full of, uh, 
you know, failed components from oil being worked too hard, but they're underneath, they're under the miles, right. but they're putting hours or whatever they're doing. Aaron, do you see very many failed six sevens? I do. And they're all cab chassis and they're all work trucks and they're all vehicles that, uh, for the about. sake of argument, right. They're not my truck. Right. It's just how it is. And it's they're vehicles that operate at gross, that. They're vehicles yeah. that operate at like gross vehicle weight rating. They have yeah. booms on them, you know, things like that. They they run all kinds of equipment. And a thousand engine hours. I swear to God, I do more engine jobs at the end of a quarter or at the end of someone's financial year than anything. It's like, oh yeah, we got all this money we need to spend. Go blow her up real quick. Yep. Go put now, Tom, here. my my question for you is. Okay, you before the show, you brought up something really interesting. You brought up the military's uh, use of like synthetic oils and uh, what uh, by maybe by maybe oil analysis say, was the big oil to oil analysis. Right. Would it be beneficial for like these uh, fleet companies to to try something different versus the regular maintenance, like the cheapest oil, whatever? to try like a extended interval with a better oil, like an Amsoil or a whatever brand that has a, maybe a bypass filter kit. And then you're getting a lot more, less changes, less changes, more sampling, something like that. Would that help? Yeah. Well, yeah. A conversation that I like to have with customers uh, or even potential customers is cost versus price. Uh, you know, so, the first thing we always look at when we look at a, something we're considering buying is, well, what's the price? You know, how much is this thing going to cost me out of my pocket? But a better way of looking at it is, what's the cost of me using this product long term? And so if you're running a cheap oil and you're changing it at every 3,000 miles, uh, you know, because you're taking it to Jiffy Lube or you're taking it to wherever and they're putting a sticker on your window that says, yep, come back in 3,000 miles. Uh, uh, you, know, you know they're not using a good quality oil because they're not charging enough to even pay for a good quality oil. Um, and so you're paying a low price, but your cost is going to be higher because that oil is a lot of wear inside of that engine and you're having to change it more often. Time and energy out of your day. Well, time and energy out of the day, but you're also just look at the multiplier of every 3,000 miles, you know, in terms of how much am I spending? Um, they're still not giving it to you for free. They're charging you something. Uh, and so if you do the math on that and figure out, so what I help people do is, you know, whether you're measuring your work by the mile or the hour, you know, how much are you spending per mile or hour on, you know, just these oil changes, for example. And so we'll calculate it out over maybe a hundred thousand mile uh, period of time or hour or miles. And we'll do the math both ways. And basically every time I do that, uh, using the highest quality oil, the best filters, and if you want to add a bypass filter, that's optional. Uh, and then also using oil analysis is always going to be the one that gives you the lowest cost of operation. Uh, and the part that we can't even measure in that is how much extra time have we given you to own that vehicle before you have to do major repairs to it? Because we, you know, we really don't know that because that's so uh, vehicle and operator uh, dependent. But 
you know, it's going to allow you to keep that piece of equipment longer. So that your initial investment is going to be spread over longer time. So yeah, uh, great way to, to uh, look at that. And so yeah, so the basically it's oil filters, bypass filters, and then oil analysis. And so those four things uh, really can change somebody's, uh, especially fleet, uh, fleet maintenance costs and fleet operations because you just don't have to do oil changes near as often. So, now, what was it like in the military when you did the sample? We never changed oil. <laughs> so I, I shouldn't say we never changed oil, but... Um, did you run synthetic or the, the military did and run not, synthetic? Not in the 48 states. Uh, the, the only, this was back in the eighties and nineties, uh, when I was in the army, I'm 56. Um, and so at that time, basically every vehicle had conventional 15 W 40 diesel oil in it, even the gas engine. Uh, that's what the army was doing. They were running, uh, 1540 diesel and everything. They even ran that in the transmissions on vehicles that had Allison automatics. They were using, uh, you can do this. You can put, uh, engine oil in an Allison automatic transmission. Uh, the Army did it forever. And uh, the only time they ever used synthetics at that time was in Alaska, just because the you know, cold temperatures were so low, conventional oil wouldn't, the, the engines wouldn't start. Um, but we, we had every, every engine, every transmission, every final drive, uh, every gearbox was on what was called the Army Oil Analysis Program. Uh, and so the mechanics were periodically, you know, they would get reminders, uh, little postcards, whatever. Now it would all be done by email. Uh, and they would get reminders that said, hey, we need, to, we need you to submit an oil sample on component, you know, whatever, whether it was an engine or transmission or final drive or whatever. And they just build a big database uh, on every component. And then when, uh, if and when you submitted a sample that had, you know, too much wear metal or maybe some coolant or something like that, uh, in there, then you would get a notice back that says, hey, do a hot resample on, you know, such and such component. And if it failed it for a second time, then you were going to swap out that component, you know, and uh, you were going to swap out the whole component. Yeah. Or at the unit level, the army doesn't do anything except replace whole you know, engine transmission, final drive, whatever. Uh, if that thing needs to be torn apart, they're going to send it back to a major depot somewhere. Uh, you know, where they can get it in a clean environment and overhaul it or, you know, rebuild it or whatever. So all we would do is pull out the engine or the trans, a lot of times engine and transmission. So would that be even, was at the time, was that even for like engine? You, they wouldn't change the oil, they just sample it and then replace the engine or did they change the engine oil? If, if you ran it long enough, uh, you know, to the point where the engine oil was going to get, you know, like I talked earlier, the acid number would start to get too low or the viscosity would start to get too low. Um, you know, then, yeah, they would tell you to, one of the first things they would usually do is tell you to change filters uh, and add back fresh oil to replace. What so that brings up an important point because I do remember, like, when you're oil, when you get a sample, they want to know if you added a quart. So if you've added a quart, somehow you've added TBN back to the, back to the oil. It's called sweetening the additive package. Yeah. Uh, so they would maximize the, the cost by instead of changing out all the oil, change the filter, top it off, and now you re revitalize that oil a little bit. Right. You've 
you've put in fresh filters, you've added, you know, probably a gallon, depending on the size of the filter, you've probably added a gallon of fresh oil. And all of that new additives that came in with the new oil is going to sweeten the the additive strength of the entire oil capacity. Uh, and so, you know, as long as there was nothing else wrong with the engine. That's know, really interesting. Yeah. So we didn't do oil changes very often. So that is now, really interesting. You were deployed in combat somewhere and you were having, you know, you were putting, you know, hundreds of miles a day on something and, and something was starting to look like it was getting funky. Then all rules go away and you start doing whatever you got to do. But if you're just in a normal uh, stateside training environment, save um, money. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. And, and Very interesting. Just save money. It was also uh, we use at that time we were using a lot of two-stroke Detroit diesel uh, big engines. You know, like the 871s and the 892 series big, uh, you know, big engines. And those things had a terrible problem with getting fuel in the oil. So you were monitoring fuel in the oil because if you got too much fuel in there, it would start cutting viscosity. Uh, and uh, you know those were those engines made a lot of power, but they were not the most reliable engines in the world if they were not taken care of real well. Uh, and so they would get coolant leaks internally and things like that. And so they would use oil analysis to find those coolant leaks as well. So fuel getting into the oil. Um, it cuts the viscosity. So when we were talking about the 6.7, you said it had like 7% fuel that he tested. So is the is that 7%, is the main issue with that 7% being there, the fact that that would kind of lower the viscosity a little bit? It will. And so you, yeah, you'll, you, you will see that for sure. So whenever you introduce diesel fuel into engine oil, uh, the engine oil is gonna get thinner, you know, because diesel fuel is thinner than oil. Uh, and there's really nothing the oil can do to withstand that. Now, the next piece of that, though, is does the combined fuel and oil mixture still provide enough lubrication protection to prevent abnormal wear? That's really what we're looking for. So could it so could you have like a 5W40 that kind of got uh, kind of got thinned down to be more like a 5W30? Yep. But 5W30 is it's still not dangerous yet, but you, it's probably not a bad idea to change that and bring it back to a 540. Right, well, but the main thing there though is all that really matters is what are your wear metal numbers looking like on the oil report? Uh, because it doesn't really matter what's happening to viscosity in the grand scheme of things. Look at the wear metal numbers. And if the wear metal numbers are not going up crazily, then you may not have to do anything. And maybe keep running for a while. So. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. I want to know, I got a question. Mm -hmm. Mr. Teacher, can I ask a question? Uh, I have heard, I've talked with DS about, about this. Um, so I've heard people say, I mean, it's always been, you know, 5,000 miles I was raised, go get a grease job oil change with your pop. It's 5,000 miles. I tell all my customers it's 5,000 miles. miles. Yeah, it's it's 5,000 miles. Now, it's going to be different, obviously, for, for people who are going to be doing, you know, just highway driving or, or what have you. But, um, you know, I just made a video about this. It's going to be coming out Friday. Um, 
talking about my maintenance regimen, uh, my, my recommendations, if you have a truck, you know, people uh, are not car people, people are, are shoemakers, people are construction workers, and they don't know anything, and they need to be told. And I'm right. telling them to just start your, if you follow this, you're going to be fine. You know, people aren't getting scientific, they don't have time for they don't, they don't know what that is. People aren't like us. And um, one of the things that kind of was like, wait, what dude's going 20,000 miles on a, on an oil change? Wait, huh and i heard amsoil uh, was behind that and i don't know like can, can you explain to me like how but before you explain it there are cases that you've seen where there's people going twenty thousand miles but they ain't doing the amsoil they're just doing like they're just rolling in with their first oil from the factory never and <laughs> and they never changed it right so those are the ones that you get to replace their motor instead of change the oil. Uh, you know, so, yeah. So again, let's go back and talk about how did Ford come up with the oil change interval for the six, seven, for example. Yeah. You know, so whether you're following a strict number that's written on a page in a book somewhere, let's just say that number is 7,500 miles. I don't know if it is. I think it's pretty close to that. Uh, but what they're more likely now going to tell you is we want you to change the oil when the oil life monitoring system tells you to, because the oil life monitoring system is a little bit smarter than one number on a page in a book, uh, because it should be taking into account, uh, you know, temperature, RPMs, how much fuels burn, things like that. You know, so it can be a little bit smarter than just a plain number. Uh, but when Ford came up with whether it's a number in the book or the algorithm in the computer, you know, theoretically, and I'm, I'm trusting that they did, they based that on probably several million miles of testing that they put that engine through, uh, you know. But they also based that number on, uh, in, in, in the case of the 6.7, they probably based it on conventional 10W30 diesel oil. Um, and they probably based it on a set of varying conditions, you know. Um, so that 10W30 conventional diesel oil is fine if you're driving around and you're wanting to keep changing your oil at those intervals that Ford specified. But when you say, hey, I'm interested in getting better protection uh, and longer life out of my oil, what can I do? Well, the simple answer is you're going to use a better quality oil. Created equal. We could have a whole four hour discussion on the groups of oils and the different category, different uh, qualities of additive, additive packages. But that's beyond what we're in here tonight to talk about. <laughs> uh, but so you've got. Uh, what I call premium full synthetic oils, AMS oil, Schaefer's, you know, there's some guys that are in that, you know, really top class up there. And then you've got some uh, oils that are down here in kind of this middle range, you know, uh, and then you've got the cheap stuff that you shouldn't put in anything, you know, but it gets sold a lot of because it's got a low price. I just picked up a good case of wolf's head. I'm thinking about using it, dumping the whole box. That's right. So, you know, if, if you see an oil that's got a ridiculously low price or you see some place that's offering, Cheap. 
you know, well, for Aaron, so what does your dealership charge for a 10W30 conventional oil change on a 6.7? It's funny you should ask that. Uh, 1.30, but if you're my first-time customer, I'm going to do it for you for 99.95. I was driving to Atlanta today from where we live in Tennessee, uh, taking our daughter's dog back. And one of the big Ford dealerships that I drove past on the way down there was advertising 99.99 diesel oil changes. And so I'm assuming that was probably six, seven. Yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty good price. I mean, that's like bottom. Yeah, that's it. So, but if you went into there and said, hey, I want you to use Motorcraft 540 synthetic diesel oil. Now, what does that price jump to? My price, 175. Yeah. See, it almost doubled, you know, yeah. and uh, same filter, same amount of oil, uh, but we're using a different weight, but most importantly, we're using a different quality of oil. Correct. Uh, but one of the things that is a uh, situation that you get into with that is Ford does not uh, promote or allow for you to run that 5W40 synthetic oil any longer than you can the 10w30 conventional oil they still want you to change it when the oil life monitoring system clicks off right yeah and there's nothing in the in the ford thing that says hey you can run this full synthetic oil longer it doesn't mean you go twenty thousand miles on the oil change well i use full synthetic right now <sighs> if you were and this is the other thing i i coach people on sometimes i'm like look if you're terrible at doing oil changes and you know you're terrible at doing oil changes, go get the absolute best oil you can buy. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna take risks on something, if you're gonna have a mistake, yeah, you're gonna make a mistake on and forgetting to change your oil, forgetting to change your oil on a premium full synthetic versus forgetting to change your oil on that two dollar stuff you bought out of the back of somebody's van, you know. Uh, I know which one I'd rather do. Uh, so, but that's where you get into the difference between uh, back on the difference. I, and I was using picking on Aaron here for a second at his dealership, 10W30, 5W40 synthetic, almost doubling in price. Uh, but the change interval is the same. Mm -hmm. Different now kind of protection. Up, right. Now jump up to a premium full synthetic. Because I, I categorize, and this is just me. I categorize the Motorcraft 540 uh, diesel oil, synthetic diesel oil, in that middle range. You know, it's it's a very good oil, but we're not going to push it to 20 to 25,000 mile oil change intervals because it wasn't designed for that. Uh, the additive package that's in there is not robust enough to last that long. The base oil that it was blended with was not designed to last that long. So we're going to run it for the same interval that you ran uh, the 10W30 synthetic or a conventional one. But when you start jumping up into the premium full synthetics that were designed to go extended drain intervals, they're a completely different oil. I mean, yeah, they're still made with base oil and they're still made with additives and they're still sold in a jug, but the the recipe, uh, or you know, and the cost of putting those products together is significantly different. And so when people see the price, they're like, you want me to pay like what, 13, $14 a quart? And it's like, well, yeah, but you're gonna go maybe three times longer. Uh, and so your cost per mile comes back down 
and we're going to stand behind it too. So if you have a problem and it was because you were using our oil the way we told you to use it and it created a problem, we're going to cover you. That's so an interesting not- point. Yeah. That, that, uh, how does that, how does that work? The, the warranty? Yeah. Through Amazoil, if you're using well, it properly and in actuality, we've never paid a warranty claim that was legitimate. Now, we've paid a lot of warranty claims to keep a customer. And if Aaron works at the dealership or any of you guys, you know that there's sometimes when you eat it uh, because you want to keep this guy. Uh, and you know that your product did not cause the problem. But when you look at the bigger picture and you say, okay, what's at stake here? We're going to eat this little situation right now. Uh, but when you do the quality control that any top level of these premium synthetic blenders uh, have to go through, so they're testing all of the raw components before they come in. So before a train car or a semi truck or you know whatever dumps base oil or additives into their tanks, they're testing them on the spot to do a quality control test before they ever accept them. They go into spotlessly clean uh, tanks and blending systems. Then they test the batch while it's still in bulk to make sure that they achieved what they wanted to achieve. And then they do random testing on the bottled or packaged product to make sure that it's still good. So this stuff gets tested multiple times before it ever gets released to the public. Um, And you know, in any good uh, manufacturing company should be doing Uh, that kind of testing on any of their products. Um, But when you start talking about those little cheap ones again, you know, that's one of the ways they save money. So, but back to the warranty claim though is, so let's say you have this 30,000 miles, six, seven, you've been running AMSOIL in it since after the first oil change and you have a catastrophic engine failure. Engine locks up, you know, won't turn over, take it all apart. And the third-party fault analysis inspection comes back and says uh, the oil was bad. And they, and they know that because they sent a, a sample of that oil out to a lab, and the lab came back and said it either didn't have enough additive in it or it, the viscosity was too low or too high or something. Um, and then once all of that adjudicated, it's almost like a court case, uh, but it, you know, it's not quite. Uh, but we, everybody knows what happened. Then the oil company says, okay, we'll pay for that. Uh, now, that's theoretically what would happen. In reality, because of the quality control that oil companies have to go through, uh, and, I'll, and in this case, I'll talk about AMSOIL because I know that quality control process, that doesn't happen. That process doesn't happen because they don't release a bad product. Now, like I said, though, would they cover an engine if there was this gray area and, you know, maybe the customer didn't use it quite right or he used a product that was, you know, let's say that the truck called for 540 and he was using, you know, a different viscosity that wasn't in the oil chart, you know, probably didn't cause any trouble. But, you know, um, th- there's some real gray areas in that. But in terms of if the oil itself was bad, uh, you have a written warranty from AMSOIL that says 
hey, if our oil is bad and we cause the problem, we're covering your repairs. So that's a interesting explanation for that, but it's an important. Topic. Well, so it's 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 interesting to know that just because uh, at least if you were to, for whatever reason, be doing a extended drain interval and you had an issue and, and for whatever reason, a warranty tried to deny you, but your engine doesn't have, it's not trashed on the inside. It's not full of sludge. Your oil hasn't been broken down, but you need a needle, a needle bearing somehow, somewhere. It's interesting to know like, hey, well, you have to at least do an oil sample to prove that. So that's the one thing I always tell people. I'm like, look, uh, if you want to start doing extended oil change intervals, you need to also do oil analysis because that is your freaking get out of jail free card if there's ever a problem because you pull up your, you know, every 5,000 mile oil analysis results and you can show, hey, look, one after another, after another, everything was fine. And then all of a sudden, boom, engine blows up. Well, you know, then it was a catastrophic failure of a part somewhere, you know, because the oil just didn't go bad uh, overnight, you know, and so that's why oil analysis to me is is highly recommended. So, not but typically, typically when you see an engine to have a catastrophic catastrophic failure, typically you do see a ton of sludge, a ton of all these other conditions, it's you usually- a Or a broken part. You know, you can have a, a piston that breaks or you can have a bearing that goes bad or you can have, you know, some part just broke because it wasn't made correctly. Right. A valve, a valve keeper falls out. A, of a, valve, a, valve, a valve, valve spring could crack. Yep, valve, that's probably one of the most common is probably valve keepers or valve springs, you know, drop a valve. So what is what is uh, PAO oil? Like what is that? Remember when I talked about we could have a four-hour discussion on oil, uh, base oils and additives. So there's four main categories, and then there's a fifth one as well. Uh, so if you start from the bottom, one and two are your. Uh, your this is cheap conventional base oil. Uh, this is slightly better conventional base oil. Here's one, here's two. Uh, group three is the highest quality conventional oil, uh, base oil that, that is blended. Uh, and it is actually considered a synthetic in the United States due to a 1999 case between Castrol and Mobile. Uh, and then group four uh, is polyallyolefalin, PAO. Uh, and so it is the abbreviation for group four base oils. Um, but almost no oils are blended strictly from group four because group, although group four oils have incredibly good properties, they also have some deficiencies. And so- What are deficiencies? They're, they're missing something. They, 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 they don't, there's, a, there's a few things they don't do very well at all. And so what you'll do is you'll blend some group five or some group three in with them to cover up or to you know address those deficiencies or shortcomings. Oh, okay. Uh, or you make up for it with your additives. You know, so that's where it gets into some serious chemical engineer magic stuff. 
So with your AMSOIL, is that is what's your AMSOIL going to, what group is your AMSOIL going to be in? We used to advertise it, uh, but now uh, probably in the last 10 years or so, I won't even discuss uh, what group oils are blended from anymore, but you can kind of tell based on the, the how long they'll cover the drain interval and the price of it. And so like our signature series oils, our top oils, they're primarily a group four uh, base oil. Uh, mm -hmm. And then we also have some lower level, lower price products called our XL or OE, and they're gonna be primarily group three. Uh, but if you walk into any auto parts store, Walmart, or any place else in the United States now, and you buy what you think is a synthetic oil, uh, if you're not paying over $10 a quart, uh, it's going to be a group three called Hydrocrack. Yeah. Uh, so it's not really a synthetic. It's a highly refined conventional oil. Great oil. Um, yeah. But it's not really a true old-fashioned synthetic. Um, Europeans actually have a standard, especially the Germans. Uh, and so if in, in Europe, if you want to call something a synthetic, it has to be made from group four or group five oil. So when you see a BMW or a Mercedes or Audi or some of these cars and they're having $400 oil changes, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons they're getting hit with that is because the oil that they have to use uh, is a full synthetic and most of the time it's imported from Europe. You know? No kidding. Well, it seems, it seems like when you think about it from an environmental standpoint, if you're taking a lot of these oil changes out of the mix, technically speaking, you could be in a way, I guess, benefiting the environment, you oh, know, because you're not, you're not dumping all this oil. You're not. Well, let's just go back to Aaron, for example. On a weekly basis, how much used motor oil probably gets pulled out of your dealership? You know, it's probably thousands of gallons. If oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, all that oil is going to go somewhere. Uh, and in the old days, it was probably getting dumped in a river somewhere or dumped in a hole in the ground. Uh, you know, hopefully now it's being recycled. Uh, but something can happen to the truck that's transporting that oil. It can get into a wreck. It can have leaks. You know, Ooh, what a mess. Every time, every time that you do an oil change on something, you generate used motor oil that has to be handled, treated, recycled, something has to be done with it. And every time you cost money, cost money, you run the risk that it's going to leak and get back into the groundwater, you know. And so if you can reduce the amount of uh, used motor oil that is in the system by reducing the number of oil changes, uh, again, back to the Europeans, they do an oil change basically once a year. Uh, Damn. That's about it. And uh, they, they go to they go get an inspection. They get their yeah. and they do an oil change once a year. I've heard that. I've heard over there. It was a it was someone from like Germany, and they were saying they came over to America and they were blown away that we were doing oil changes every three thousand right. miles. They right. would just do it once a year, and it wasn't a thing like it right. is here. You know why that is though? It's because no one over there idles their car. Literally, no one. I think that it's more a, than that. But well, no, that's a huge contributing factor, and no one really drives anywhere over there. Yeah, we're lazy. I mean, I drove several hundred miles today, and in Europe, that would be a, you know, a several day trip probably. You know? <laughs> that's 
oh my god weeks of travel months of travel for them they don't really go anywhere but they do use a higher quality oil uh, especially if they want to uh, advertise that it's a, that an oil is a synthetic oil it, it's got to be a no shit synthetic not one of these uh, group three hydrofracts that's masquerading as a synthetic so well son of a bean I think this was an excellent topic for discussion. Again, oil, um, but we got uh, a little more uh, uh, insight with a particular product, uh, Amsoil. Um, I think uh, you guys, uh, um, let us know in the comments if any of you guys are running Amsoil products or what products you guys are running. I know we've asked this before, but uh, you know that bypass filtration systems really got me uh, kind of wondering about what it would look like on my six seven uh, or eight six seven uh, to begin with. I'll have to uh, definitely check that out. Um, uh, so what's everybody else running that's on the the uh, podcast here tonight? What what oil? No, what vehicles are you guys running? Oh. Uh, uh, Six seven power stroke here. What year? Twenty two thousand twenty at four fifty. Got my good old two thousand six F three fifty six liter, and yeah. it runs like a top. All I do is change the oil. There you go. <laughs> I've I've got uh, twenty eleven F two fifty six two and a uh, twenty nineteen six two. Hell yeah! Like me, don't need a diesel. I'll keep my gas. Oh uh, yeah, oh yeah. We'll uh, definitely uh, put your uh, information uh, in the description. Uh, if anybody wants to reach out to Tom uh, for products or has any other technical questions regarding, uh, you know, that filtration or the oil uh, or what have you, you like guys. All my other customers, and you call me for coolant. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, um don't forget the merch plug don't forget yeah, the merch plug. check out my stickers matt show them stickers we got the we got the shirt he's got the got it live right up on there for me um uh for those of you that uh cannot listen to us on youtube uh, make sure to check us out on the mainstream uh podcast apps spotify apple tune in all those fun things um and a real quick out to the first responders uh, one of my subs out in Denver just had to lay uh, one of our one of theirs uh, to rest um, uh, much love out to them we always try to help our first responders and especially our army vets Tom uh, one of them and uh, we always thank you guys for your service so again everybody tell us what you think about this in the comment section uh, we always have fun on here talking about our power strokes and what we can help do to make them uh, make them stay on the road as long as we can and trouble free thanks so much for watching and we'll catch you guys next time. See ya.